Welcome everybody to Blissfully Aware, the show in which three opinionated people discuss what's going on in fandom and nerd news in general. I am Bliss, and as always, I'm joined by my two lovely co-hosts, Kelty and Kendra. Hello! Hello everyone! We're back. <laughs> so, y'all, y'all have a good week? Yeah? Yeah, it was fine. Yeah, it was yeah. pretty good, all things considered. The sun's out, which is a big deal in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. The sun's always out in Texas. Yeah, it's not but as big a deal there. <laughs> I went to a fancy white people pool, and it had a lazy river, and I was very impressed. Ooh. We have, like, one water park out here, and it's at a place called Cultus Lake, and we've just never been... Next time we but go to Texas, I have to take you to Schlitterbahn, though. I know. Gotta go to this German water park in Texas. <laughs> to Schlitterbahn? Yeah. People get decapitated there. That was at the one in, in Oklahoma or something. Like, it's not the Schlitterbahn in Texas. But they still follow the same building practices. I'm certain they don't anymore. We... But the thing is, I just gotta tell the story real quick, because it's, it's a little unbelievable, actually. So... There's this water park in Texas that's called Schlitterbahn. Apparently, it, like, is always boasting, like, the craziest water parks in the world. Biggest slides, biggest drops, or whatever. And so they had this slide in their Kansas water park that was called Verrucht, which is apparently German for insane. Uh-huh. <laughs> it was insane. Yeah. So what it was is, is you climbed up this huge tower, and then you went down this incredible drop. And then there was, like, a slight second hump, and then it dropped you again into the pool. Uh-huh. That was the idea. Now, um, critically, the owner of the water park is not an engineer, doesn't hire engineers. He just makes up his slides just, like, in his head, and then tests them with, like, bales of hay. So... There's no engineering, there's no education or physics that are involved in making these. It's just some crazy guy and his vision. So you you went down on these rafts and you had to go like at least two or three people to a raft because your raft had to be heavy enough that when you came down the first huge slide and went up the second little hump, you were going so fast that your raft had to be heavy enough mm-hmm. that you didn't, like, go airborne mm-hmm. because of all the momentum you had built up. And over the slide, oh, no. there is, like, this metal frame with a net to keep people from <laughs> flinging off the sides of this water slide that's, like, ten stories tall. Bliss is having an attack. I know! It's a, it's a horrific story. It is. I shouldn't be laughing. <laughs> So one day in August of 2016, it's, it's so gruesome, but it's real. It sounds like a Looney Tune cartoon, but it's real. And that's what makes it horrific. Uh, so in August 2016, a 10-year-old boy oh God. who was the son of a state representative yeah. and his mother got onto one of the rafts and crucially, their raft was underweight. Because apparently the people, the safety protocols in these parks are not quite up to code. Shocking. They are now. There's no fail-safes or anything. It's just a bunch of people being like, yeah, it should be good. 
So, they go down the first huge incline. Apparently, you could go as fast as, like, 70 to 80 miles per hour. Jesus Christ. They go down this first huge incline, and their underweight raft rockets up the second little hump in the slide, and they catch air. And the 10-year-old boy is fully decapitated instantly by the metal frame. And that is now what Schlitterbahn is famous for worldwide. It sure is. But none of this is neither here nor there. What we're going to talk about today is the purity of homosexuality. (laughs) (laughs) I do hope... I do hope you include that though. That, that story is is just it's it's like a gothic tragedy. Yeah. It's like it's a monument rough. to American ignorance. Yeah. Anyway, let's go fandom. on. Fandom. Fandom. This is a fandom podcast. <laughs> fandom. Uh, uh-huh. Variety released an article on June seventeenth. Variety? 17th. The magazine? Yes, an article. Uh, well, I don't know if they put it in an actual magazine, but the website did. But that variety. Variety.com. The title of the article was Anthony Mackie on his promotion to Captain America and Sam and Bucky's bromance on Falcon and Winter Soldier. So yeah, the article itself I don't feel was bad. Did you guys read it? Part of it. (sighs) I did not. It I'm was, gonna be fully honest. I was, did not. It was kind of making me sad, and I like I'm so mad still about Marvel and what they did to Steve that I just I can't. I read this article, and it filled me with rage that I have not felt since like 2013 Tumblr days. <laughs> <laughs> Flames on the side yeah. of my face. <laughs> Much like we discussed in our last episode, I don't understand why we ask big air quotes celebrities their opinions on ships and shit like that. No. It's not important. <sighs> mm-hmm. Fully, completely yeah. agree. And unfortunately, Anthony Mackie was not as graceful in his answer as, say, Christopher yeah. Welkin yeah. was from our last episode. Yeah. Uh, I think he made some really good points in this article. I think it's worth reading if you can uh, brace yourself for his super weird answer about sam bucky so the article starts out i feel pretty strong anthony's talking about sam's character and him picking up the mantle of captain america spoiler i guess mm-hmm. i don't know does it matter <laughs> um I, I apologize friends if that is a spoiler for you <laughs> <laughs> See, it's been out for several months now, so I can't imagine, like... And it's been out in the comics for years now. Oh, yeah, like, so, more, more than ten years. So, yeah, so Sam Wilson is going to be the new Captain America. Very exciting. Anthony Mackie, one of his quotes really struck me. He's talking about being a black man in America right now, and how emotionally that feels in juxtaposition to Sam's reluctance in the show to take on the mantle of Captain America because Sam didn't feel like that was, like, his place. Yeah, or Mm. that, like, he necessarily wanted to champion the nation that has so harmed his people. And Uh that's, like, again, I haven't seen it, but I know that that's a big narrative character arc for him is, like, dealing with that fact. And, you know, it's Marvel, especially Marvel now owned by Disney, 
So don't really arrive at any, like, radical answers to those dilemmas, but at least they address them. Well, yeah, and something he even says is, um, taking up the mantle, the fear of representing a country who doesn't represent you, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. really struck me. Because, you know, as a queer person, I'm not represented by my country. (laughs) Holy fuck, like, even as a woman, we're not represented by our fucking country. For real. Well, so, as the article goes on, they end up asking dear, dear Anthony his opinion on the ship of Sam and Bucky, which is, it's the new hot ship. It's the new hot Marvel ship. That is definitely not out of nowhere. Like, the main tension for most of the series is them learning to get along and, like, reconciling both of their relationships, like, to Steve and as, like, American military service members. Like, being a soldier during World War II was a very different thing than being a soldier during the Iraq War. So, like, that's something that they combat with. Uh And, you know, they go to literal couples counseling (laughs) in one scene. So it's not out of nowhere. They definitely play it up as them being, like, an odd couple. I mean, yeah, I shipped it in fucking... The comics. Yeah. It's not unheard of, yeah. So, the actual answer that Anthony gives when asked his opinion on the ship, I'm gonna read the quote, and I'm gonna mm-hmm. preface this with, I think that while the quote makes me mad, <laughs> that it, it was just some poor wording. Oh, for sure. So, Anthony says, So many things are twisted and convoluted. There's so many things that people latch onto with their own devices to make themselves relevant and rational. Mm. The idea of two guys being friends and loving each other in 2021 is a problem because of the exploitation of homosexuality. Mm. It used to be guys can be friends. We could hang out and it was cool. You would meet your friends at the bar, you know? You can't do that anymore because something as pure and beautiful as homosexuality has been exploited by people who are trying to rationalize themselves. So something that's always been very important to me is showing a sensitive masculine figure. There's nothing more masculine than being a superhero and flying around and beating people up. But there's nothing more sensitive than having emotional conversations and a kindred spirit friendship with someone that you care about and love. Sam and Steve had a relationship where they admired, appreciated, and loved each other. Bucky and Sam have a relationship where they learn how to accept, appreciate, and love each other. You'd call it a bromance, but it's literally just two guys who have each other's back. And that quote sure was a quote. It was a long quote. It was a really long Um, quote. Yeah. That's, yeah. I was... (laughs) I was uncomfortable with a lot of that. It's it's very strange, period. But yeah. it's very strange of his, yeah, his defensiveness and his accusation that queer people need to rationalize themselves or something. Is yeah. that what he said? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Or that they have to uh, make themselves relevant, relevant and rational. And he yeah. says it during Pride Yeah. Night. Like, we're not always relevant and rational or an important part of the conversation. And, like, I get that Disney has a gun to your head saying, never, ever talk about gay shit, ever. Like, I fully understand 
that he is maybe perhaps not allowed to say what he really thinks because of Disney or, you know, because his publicist said it would be bad or whatever. I do think this idea that homosexuality has somehow perverted innocent same-sex friendships is laughable. I will not entertain that thought for an instant from anyone. Uh, It enrages me, (laughs) that concept enrages me Mm -hmm. that and the idea of um preferring something pure and beautiful as homosexuality that made me uncomfortable (laughs) what that made me really uncomfortable like like we're sunday school (laughs) lessons or something i'm not pure or beautiful i fuck like an animal just like anybody else yeah we as queer people are as you know mean and disrespectful and abusive and as anyone else like Mm -hmm. there is nothing angelic about us because of our queerness yeah we don't need you to infantilize us or just tell us we're pretty or yeah i don't (laughs) i don't need that it's a very it's a very straight move (laughs) it's a very hetero move it's a very confusing quote. I, I'm not sure he knew what he was no, saying. I, I because I feel fl- like he changes speed several I times. Think he got believe. flustered, yeah. yeah. He got flustered with his answer and he's like, oh no, I'm coming on too strong. I gotta walk it back and say that gay people are beautiful and pure. Yeah, and like, <laughs> and that's fine. But, uh... I mean, that's absolutely happened to me before. Yeah. And I, like, I don't know, Variety... I don't necessarily think that that's a relevant question to ask an actor. I definitely what don't he think it's thinks a relevant about question. what a facet of the fandom is doing. Like because yeah, cards on the table, Disney will never ever fucking ever do that. No. And like that's not going to stop anyone. Like no. that's not going to stop any fan, any queer person from looking at their relationship and being like I enjoy their dynamic. I I feel somehow represented through this like dynamic that they they embody but yeah men and women for that matter but mostly men because toxic masculinity (laughs) uh, are very like they're still very worried about quote unquote seeming gay Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. because of homophobia and toxic masculinity being vulnerable being emotional confiding in one another all seen as very unmasculine traits yes and you know what else is unmasculine being gay (laughs) fucking your buddy goes so goes you know the narrative of toxic masculinity so if you do one of these unmasculine behaviors you probably do one of the others and thus the narrative becomes self-sustaining So, yeah, like, and I've said it before, (laughs) where, like, I want to know what it was like to live in a world so heteronormative that millions of people went to see Top Gun and were like, this is, (laughs) this is just straight men hanging out. Playing volleyball. Playing shirtless volleyball on the beach while playing with the boys, plays in the background (laughs) and... You know, playing grab ass in the locker room and shit and yeah. all of this stuff that straight <laughs> men do because they're not allowed to they're not allowed to connect with their fellow man in a in a healthy way. No. And like because I watch that movie now as a queer person. Like I don't watch it regularly or anything. It's not one of my favorite movies. But it is it is the movie that I think of the most when I think of this kind of time in the eighties. 
just this hyper heteronormativity where directors, actors, uh, stories could just get away with a lot more because of just the ultra rigid assumption of heteronormativity. Yeah. Because basically anything short of like two men making out on screen was like, that's not gay at all. Why would you call that gay? Oh, you're so, so perverted seeing gayness everywhere. Like, yeah. <laughs> Back in the days of men wearing mesh crop tops and short exactly. pants. Exactly. And the, the headbands. And that was the height of male that was, fashion. That was the height of athletic masculinity. Yeah. And, like, so, <laughs> I don't know. I wasn't alive during that time. Like, so, for someone who maybe, Anthony Mackie is, like, in his 40s now. So, someone who maybe grew up where just queerness is invisible and it never even occurs to you that someone across the street could look at you hanging out with your bud and be like, oh, that's gay. And again, the most terrifying thing you can call a straight man, <laughs> who, in, at least in the realm of toxic masculinity, like calling him unmanly, questioning his masculinity, questioning his heterosexuality, because they are the same thing in toxic masculinity, is like the most terrifying thing you can do. So now suddenly you're like policing yourself. You're like second guessing everything you do. Like, oh, does that seem gay? Do I seem gay now? And so now that at least in the West, giant air quotes the West, we are in a space where like homosexuality slash queerness is like quasi acceptable to talk about. Like, I don't want to... I am queer, and most of the people I know are queer. So I live in a place and a space where queerness is very normalized, like, within my own friend group and within the country that I live. So I get that my experience is not normative, and there's still a huge amount of homophobia even in the Western countries. Um, like where I live. Yeah. Yes. Like where or I'm even, from. even, like, an hour's drive from where I live. Mm-hmm. And... There, it is something that at least, like, is mentionable now. Like, it's not like an unspoken evil that plagues our society. Usually, you can talk about it safely. You know, at least in my country, it's, it's a protected class, I think. Like, one's gender identity or sexual orientation cannot be discriminated against. Here, yeah. In Canada, yes. Mm-hmm. We have same-sex marriage. So yeah, like, and again, not to say that hate crimes and, like, interpersonal homophobia doesn't exist, but it is a different place than, you know, when a movie like Top Gun got made. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so, like, people are more open to seeing queerness where they would have not before. They are more mm-hmm. open to reading queer subtext or even just recognizing queer subtext. Like, fucking, uh, the Schumacher Batman movies, like, Mm. loaded with queer subtext because Schumacher is a fucking gay man and he has a weird nipple fixation and (laughs) so that's, and he's fucking campy. So, like, those movies are bad, don't get me wrong, but they Uh. are, like, loaded with queer subtext and people watching them at the time might have been like, what the fuck is this movie? But now, like, someone whose eye is more attuned to that sort of reading would watch those movies and be like, oh, it's gay. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. that's the point. (laughs) Well, and I think I, if I put aside my anger Mm -hmm. at his poor wording, I can 
recognize that what he's saying is he wanted to tell a story about men having a close relationship to semi-break down that toxic masculinity wall. Yeah, basically he wanted to have a narrative, have a character arc that embodied healthy masculinity. Uh And, like, he just doesn't think that that can involve homosexuality, I guess. Well, and, I mean, the whole quote comes off like he's saying, but no homo. No, it's exactly what it is. It's a long-winded, like, sort of panicked way of saying no homo. Because I guess you can't, like, gay men never hang out at the bars with their friends, non-sexually, I guess, with their buddies. For real. Well, okay, yeah. Well, it's not pure or beautiful, Kendra. No. Here's my issue with his whole quote, is that it comes off very much, like, and I used to get into this argument a lot, when people would say that cheapens the relationship to, to make, make them it gay. gay. Yeah. Yeah. Which uh, is always kind of alarming when men seem to think that romance is what cheapens a relationship. Yes. Rather than, <laughs> rather than just makes it different. Romantic love and sexual love somehow, quote unquote, uh, cheapens, quote unquote, an otherwise pure quote-unquote platonic relationship. Yeah. Like, that speaks volumes to me, that it people have that thought. Really does. That and it makes me feel bad for straight women, as I often do. It, it really does. But, like, the thing is, at the risk of sounding like a whore, I fuck most of my friends. <laughs> it's fun. It's a nice thing to do. Yeah. And it feels nice. <laughs> It's just strange to me when people are like, oh, they're just friends. Like, don't cheapen it with sex. Don't cheapen it with sex. What kind of sex are you having? I don't know. What what is the straight sexual relationship? Like, I I can't... Cheapen? Are you joking? (laughs) I, I just don't... I don't get it. Yes, I don't really understand the divisions of love into, like, rigid categories of, like, platonic, romantic, sexual, other, I don't know. (laughs) Other. Those are the three I could think of off the top of my head. But, like, I don't know. The idea, like, I'm very into the idea of, you know, queerness and identity being fluid. I don't really understand why most people are against the idea of forms of love being fluid and, like, being friends who have sex or having sex and deciding you're better as friends, or being in love with someone that you don't have sex with. Like, I don't understand why all of these things are, like, incomprehensible to the, like, rigid, distinct boxes of love that we have, talking about how, you know, you don't have sex with your friends, you only have sex with your romantic partner, and I... (laughs) That's what I have to say to that! That's dumb! Yeah, like, they're... Like, I am obviously not an asexual person. I love sex, but many asexual people that I know talk about love and loving someone romantically, or if you are aromantic, loving someone non-romantically. Like, all of these different terms and categories we have for love, I don't understand why there is not more fluidity between them, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> like, Bliss, um, you know that you and I are both kind of, like, ambivalent ambivalent bordering on like 
against, maybe against is too strong, but the term queer platonic. Yeah, yeah not a fan. <laughs> we're not huge fans of that word for many reasons, but I get what people who employ it are headed toward, because I feel like what they describe describes a lot of my relationships with my queer uh, friends that can be fluid and romantic and sexual, which is why I don't really love the term queer platonic, because it cordons off, again, this huge spectrum of love into this one very heteronormative concept Mm -hmm. of platonicism. I get what they're going for with it, I guess. Yeah, I'm not a fan. I get it. I just don't like it. There There is something to the idea of relationships being fluid and that they're not always the same thing at the same time and that they can grow and evolve and change and like naturally conclude and that's okay like there is this pressure in america of like relentless optimism and positivity and like the idea toxic positivity toxic poxi- toxic positivity <laughs> and the idea of a relationship between two human beings just like naturally ending but that's like treated like some kind of failure on the parts yeah of like both participants yeah as somebody who has left many a friendship behind because life comes in seasons and mm-hmm. whatever you know what have you it's fine my life yeah has gone on i'm sure theirs have i don't sit around crying because they're not in my life weeping and touching pictures of them as i'm sure they do because i'm sure they miss me deeply i do that with pictures of you though well yeah but that's different we love each other the relationship is not concluded yeah and it never will but if you're dating someone and like you know the relationship just naturally sort of ends like i know kelty this happened to you in college Mm -hmm. but you can just amicably split up and yeah, remain friends, to... and it's fine, guys. It doesn't have to be a problem. Yeah, like, it's not a failure if a relationship ends at some point, or changes at some point. Not every relationship has to be a Taylor Swift song. <laughs> Another thing that comes up every once in a while is that, like, I'm still friends with all my exes. Because, you know, we all ended up amicably. We, it wasn't, we didn't hold on until we resented each other, you know? It was just kind of like, this isn't working anymore. This okay. is done. Yeah. We're different people now. Like, my my ex in college, the reason that we broke up was basically, I turned 21 and my life didn't change at all because I hate being in public and I want to drink at home <laughs> and watch Netflix. And my life was just the exact same that it was when I was 20. But then when my girlfriend turned 21, she wanted to go out to clubs and stuff. And I was like, this isn't what either of us want anymore. Like, you deserve to go out clubbing all the time and not have me, like... Being a wet blanket. Being a wet blanket <laughs> or being home. Yeah, like, just like, have fun at the club, babe. <laughs> have fun at the club! <laughs> like, that's not fair to you, and it's not fair to me, because I want somebody to just sit and watch movies with. Well, instead, you and I were just sitting naked, eating jello shots with spoons, watching Sherlock. Yeah! <laughs> God, that paints an image for we, me. <laughs> we ended up... Because... 
when we made the jello shots, we ran out of little cups. Mm -hmm. So we started just using anything that was kind of small. We had them in measuring cups. We had measuring cups. That is so sad. Like I, that's just that is a very specific illustration of the depression both of you were in <laughs> in time yeah. because we would. It didn't even occur to us until like halfway through the movie when we were already like blitzed, <laughs> and Blitz just goes, "We could have gone out and gotten more cups." Yeah, you guys are adults. <laughs> could have gone to the dollar store and gotten some Dixie cups because we yeah. we had all the Jello <laughs> and all the liquor, but just eh, we could have gotten more cups. And then I was just kind of like, "Well, now we can't." So we just yeah. like, oh, <laughs> well, well. we're too drunk now. But anyway, this has kind of gotten away from yeah, the original yeah, topic. Has, but, but basically, yeah. uh, I get generously what Anthony Mackie was trying to say. But I don't think that queer people are attempting to be rational or relevant by by maybe interpreting a homoerotic relationship as homosexual. <laughs> Gee golly gosh, who would have thought? Uh, I don't think that that's an outlandish conclusion to come to. And I think that you can tell a story about healthy masculinity and have it, have there be homosexual tension. Like, yeah. I don't think that mm-hmm. healthy masculinity and homosexuality, romantic homosexuality are mutually exclusive. And I know that that is a, it's an impulsive defensive thing for most cis straight men to be like, no, I'm not gay because like, it's a challenge to your masculinity, or at least it still feels like one. But I promise that it's not. Mm-mm. And even if people still say that to you and do that to you, part of healthy masculinity is realizing that they're wrong. And yeah, you don't have to know homo everything. For real. Even though I know Disney is making you, like, you don't have to do it quite so vigorously. Yeah. <laughs> It, you yeah. don't have to go that hard, man. You're fine. Robert Downey Jr. ran a Steve Tony fan account. <laughs> yeah, he did. But Robert yeah. Downey Jr. is a different breed. He's Robert a different Downey breed. Jr. He's he's older and he's just like he does not care. Fuck you, Disney. I'm gonna do what I want. Yeah. So. Like, and I get I get that there is a big difference between how the studio was run between when it was just Marvel and after the Disney acquisition. I get mm-hmm. that. This PR campaign is a lot more polished now, and it's a lot more restrictive, and, and fine, whatever. I get that, like, you know, by the time we were, like, in Phase 2 and, like, Ultron was out and stuff, Robert Downey Jr. was, like, untouchable. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, yeah. you could not, like, he could do anything, say anything, and he was still gonna be in those movies. I get that the other actors might feel a little replaceable and want to please the mouse, and yeah. keep their careers intact. That's and fair, yeah. so I don't want to just lay this all at like one actor's feet for oh, just, yeah, for no, just being like his fault. just being like caught off guard by a question that I agree was like not appropriate, not for the scope and not of important. Nobody yeah. cares what his opinion is. It's super weird. I mean, again, we're not in 2013 Tumblr days. Why are we asking actors about shipping? And in variety articles, no less. Yes. Like, I'm sorry, but Anthony, I love you, buddy. I don't give a fuck. (laughs) I don't care what you think about it. I'm gonna read it anyway because it's hot. 
and I don't care. And, and I like it when, when sad, broken soldiers yeah. find healing in one another. God. I like the idea of you two kissing. You don't actually have to do it. That's fine. I'll I'll just read it and picture it, and that's good enough for me. I don't care. So, to change the subject a little bit, still, still on the no homo train, though. Mm-hmm. You guys ever play Five Nights at Freddy's? I have not played it myself. I have played it one time, and then I watched Let's Plays of it. Yes, I have seen Let's Plays of it, and it is it is a horror game, and like it's a yes. whole series now. The first one, at least, is a pretty ingenious horror game, I think, because you you are stuck in one room, and like the enemies are slowly coming toward you. And there is no way you can combat them. You just have to hope that time runs out, basically. Yeah, so the idea is you are a new security hire at an old Chuck E. Cheese-style pizza restaurant. And the animatronics come alive at night. And they essentially come and hunt you down in your little security room. But you only have X amount of power. So you can't lock the doors because that eats up your power. You can't turn on the lights for too long because then that eats up your power. And you have to use the security cameras to know where they are to be able to protect yourself. So it's it's very easy to play and it's very engaging. And it is it has some really good tension. Yeah, I, I think that it's a pretty effective, at least the first one. The first one's the only one I've ever really seen played. But it's a pretty effective mechanic because you're very helpless. Mm-hmm. Like... There's not a whole lot you can do to defend yourself. You are literally just running out the clock. Yeah. Uh, So this week, some people found out that the guy who created Five Nights at Freddy, a huge franchise, by the way, it's going on 13 games and has 15 novels, giant fan base. Novels? Oh, yeah. Like kids novels. Oh, okay. Like, Like Minecraft has novels. What? What? It just makes money. <laughs> it's just a way to make money. Oh my god. What is it about? I, I just lore, I guess. I am shocked. I have never heard of this. I did not know that there were video game novels for children. Okay. So yeah, the franchise itself has earned an estimated $60 million. Wow. Like, the first game was like a hit with Let's Players, because mm-hmm. horror games are fun to play, because you get bombastic reactions out of people. You just... It made some YouTubers, some Let's Players, like Markiplier. careers. Yeah. yeah. Like, I know it didn't make his like, career, but it, it is, like, I think still, like, his most viewed video. It's still the only mm-hmm. one I've watched. <laughs> and, yeah, and I'm sure the game originally, like, it was one guy, and it must have cost basically nothing to make. So, like, the profit return on that, it must have been nice. Let me tell you a little story about how this game was made. Please do, enlighten me. Scott Coffin, big surprise to a bunch of people on the internet this week, a devout Christian. <laughs> Disciple of Christ. Super devout Christian, spent 12 years making... Yeah, Christ, chef voice actor. <laughs> um, spent 12 years making Christian movies, video games, all to no success. Shocking. Wow. And he had himself a good old-fashioned crisis of faith, assumed God didn't love him, did the whole rip your clothes, cover yourself in ash, quit making games and become a trucker thing. Yes, nice biblical reference. Thank you. As fandom pope, I do know a little bit about the Bible. (laughs) Hot. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) 
it got so bad. He was feeling so depressed that he went to his doctor and said, you know, he was feeling suicidal. And his doctor, in a dick move, told Scott's life insurance company holder. Is that legal? Is that oh. not a HIPAA violation? Gray oh my area. god, I, I would have yeah. sued him. And the uh, life insurance policy was canceled. Oh my god. Outrageous. I feel bad for him. I, I wasn't expecting to at the beginning of this, but I feel bad now. Yeah, it, it's it's sad. It's sad you're allowed to feel bad. It's Oh upsetting. my god. I mean, that's that's downright borderline criminal. <laughs> Never yeah. mind sad. That feels like it should be <laughs> illegal. So he decided that he was going to go back to trying to make games. He had nothing. He said, you know, I'm going to give it one more go. Mm -hmm. And he decided to land on making a horror game because one of the characters from one of his previous Christian games was described as being creepy, like an animatronic. Okay. So he decided to lean into that. Mm -hmm. Okay. And he went with this idea of, I want it to be very simple and accessible so anyone can play it. You don't have to speak English. The mechanics mm -hmm. are going to be yeah. super easy. And it was a huge success, obviously. Yeah. It was Five Nights at Freddy's. Yeah. Yeah. When asked, he has said there is no Christian message in Five Nights at Freddy's. Unlike some of his other games, there is one. I forget the title of it off the top of my head. But the whole point of the game is to save a fetus from being killed. Oh. <laughs> I do know that uh, after Five Nights at Freddy's... <sighs> Here's the thing, is this all is news to people right now. This mm -hmm. is not news. I've mm -hmm. known for years that Scott was a Christian and was making Christian games like this beforehand. And like after Five Nights at Freddy's Success, people went and found his games and tried to play them. And they were like, um, excuse me. First off, this game is terrible. <laughs> Second off, what? <laughs> yeah. Qua? Did this game try to convert me? Yeah. <laughs> the big issue that brought this to people's attention was, um, it turns out that he is a Republican, big surprise there, and mm. has made almost $43,000 in contributions since 2015 to mostly Republican candidates. He has Ooh. donated to, like, Tulsi Gabbard, which is the most anti-LGBTQ oh. <laughs> Democrat oh. there is. So thanks yes. for that, Scott. Ugh. Yeah. People were upset. And, of course, when people are upset online, then comes the cancel party. They harass. They harass. Yes, they hate mob. And Scott's wife is pregnant. And oh dear. in the beginning oh of the hate mob, according to Scott, her anxiety ratcheted up so far that they genuinely were afraid in their home from like anxiety and like people coming to their home like fear of yeah like doxing them and finding out where they live and yeah yeah so that's completely fair yeah that that sort yeah. of experience is normal when you are the target of a twitter hate mob because they will straight up tell you that yep. like i'm going to come to your house and kill you that sort of behavior from quote unquote fans who feel betrayed that you have not produced what they want is increasingly normal in the old twitter space unfortunately yeah. and uh, even if you feel betrayed by a creator who you find out is a terrible person or donates money to terrible people. Like, 
fucking don't act like this. How is this fixing anything? <laughs> yeah. God, yeah, I don't I don't know. Like I again, have not played it. If I had paid money for this game and I were an American and I found out that this man who I had given money to in turn gave money to a politician who wants to eradicate people like me, I would feel betrayed. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I might even ask for my money back. I wouldn't expect it. I would at least lodge my complaints in an email or something. <laughs> but yeah, attacking the man's safety, attacking the wife's safety, still a crime, even if he donated to Trump. Yep. Absolutely. It's not okay, man. So Scott decided that he was going to retire. And he makes a post on Reddit, and he makes a post on his website. And I'm going to read his post from his website. Oh, so boy. he says... Before I say anything else, check out this awesome piece of fan art. And he includes this piece of fan art from an unnamed eight-year-old. Pretty amazing stuff, right? I have boxes and boxes of artwork like this from fans that I've saved over the years. I've tried to answer as many letters as I could and apologize to anyone that I've missed somehow. Someday, when I have a bigger living room, maybe I'll make a giant collage of all the fan art I've collected. Stuff like this has made it all worthwhile for me over the last seven years. I've had a blessed, fulfilling, and rich career. I've been shown great kindness, and I've tried to show great kindness in return. I've tried to make some good games, and I've witnessed the creation of possibly the most creative and talented fan base on the planet. But here on the seventh anniversary of the first game's trailer, as I realize that I was in my mid-30s when I created the series... And now I'm approaching my mid-40s. I realize that I miss a lot of things I got to focus on before FNAF, Five Nights at Freddy's, Uh became such a success. I miss making games for my kids. I miss doing it just for fun. And I miss making RPGs, even though I stink at it. (laughs) (laughs) All of this to say, I'm retiring. I have been shown tremendous love and support over this last year, a lot of which has come from the LGBTQ community. The kindness shown to me has been surreal. Is this the end of FNAF? No. This just means that someone else will eventually be running the show. Someone of my choosing and someone I trust. We will have to wait and see how it all plays out, but an announcement will be made at some point. I have six kids now, although one of them is currently the size of a blueberry. I love them dearly. They are my whole world and my whole universe. I want to focus my attention on them, focus on protecting them, and spend my time making things for them. I only ask that my fan base respect my decision. I will still be around, just not in the capacity that I used to be. What a blessed career I've had, what wonderful people I've met, and what a tremendous blessing to have been able to know all of you. Thank you so much. See you on the flip side. So that's a very nice, eloquent, not explaining why he's retiring. Yeah. Uh, also, nice, uh, like, nice token mention of the gays. While donating money to men and women who would prefer we be eradicated. Thanks so much. Then over on the Five Nights at Freddy Reddit, or apparently the Freddit community is what oh, it's called. Oh, I hated that. I thought that was personal. Uh, I know you did. <laughs> He goes into much more detail. It's a much longer statement that I'm less inclined to read in full Mm -hmm. because it's long. He talks about (laughs) it being, you know, 
surreal. His wife's six weeks pregnant. They spend nights in fear because of what people are saying online. Literally in response. So I'm going to put this in context. Context that the three of us here Mm -hmm. understand because we live on the internet some days. On Twitter, he announced his retirement. And one of the top responses to that was, I hope your wife has a miscarriage. Not anything else, just that. (laughs) Not great. Like, yeah. So Scott's retiring. (laughs) Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. And I I respect that. Sure. Uh, He was doxxed. Mm-hmm. For the record. Hooray. So yeah, he talks about he's an American citizen. He has the right to vote for who he wants and support the candidates he wants and donate to people he wants because it's his money. That is all true, buddy. Yeah. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. And he says, you know, I'm a big supporter of the African-American uh, community. I hire gay people. Not that big I a supporter. give money to Tulsi Gabbard. Yeah. You can vote for whoever you want, but don't but you lie can't, to us. Yeah, you can't then also support the communities they seek to destroy. Yeah. Like, I don't mm-hmm. hope your wife has a miscarriage, but just saying. I'm still like, gonna call you a liar. Yeah, you're still an asshole. Hope your baby's fine, though. And Scott goes on to say, I bet he does. I'm a Republican. I'm a Christian. I'm pro-life. I believe in God. Nobody cares, uh, dude. I also believe in equality and in science and common sense, which I don't believe, Scott. No, you don't. And then he says it's not an apology or a promise to change. It's the way it's always been. And if I get canceled, I get canceled. I'm not in it for the money anymore. No, because you have it all now. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's easy to not be in it for the money when you're $60 million flush. (laughs) So, yeah, he has walked away, pockets lined comfortably. With gay dollars. (laughs) Yeah, totally comfortable with his choices so yeah that that caused quite a dust up online a lot of you know toxic men out there getting mad at the sjw's canceling scott for being being a republican or being anti-gay and a lot of people saying well he's not anti-gay because you know he knows a gay person or yeah you know he's not racist because he hired a black just like disney isn't anti-gay because they have a float at pride or because every two years they introduce the first openly gay character in a disney movie (laughs) (laughs) and it's the same fucking grift every time i i I don't know man i There were a lot of people who were shocked to find out that Scott was a Republican and a Christian. I was not. I'm not looking down on people who were shocked. I mean, I don't expect people to know everything, but it's not like it was a secret, though. No, it's just different now where fans have access to the creators of things they like in a way hitherto unforeseen. (laughs) And yeah, like, there is still this huge association of one author being like the total arbiter of a work and imbuing the work with like some of their morality somehow mm-hmm. like and so when you mm-hmm. play five nights at freddy's and enjoy it i guess you're like oh no i enjoyed something that a trump supporter made somehow there is some sort of like transitive property where because i enjoyed a game that a trump supporter made somehow i am partaking in the support of trump basically is the like mental thing that Mm -hmm. happens and like 
I can't even argue that that's not true. There is a, like, postmodern theory that we often briefly talk about, but it's referred to as death of the author, and, like, uh, is articulated, uh, I think, best by a French stuck-up theorist <laughs> from the, mid- the mid-century. Basically, for a long, 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 long time, like, 500 years since Vasari wrote The Lives of Artists, the way to interpret an artwork has been through what they call the biographical lens. So, like, I don't know, let's take Michelangelo as an example. Like, why did Michelangelo paint the Sistine Chapel the way he did? Well, it's because he had certain experiences, and he lived a certain life, and he met certain people, Mm -hmm. and he had a certain education, and he had certain beliefs, and all of that informs his style of artwork informs why he painted the Sistine Chapel the way he did. Why does this figure look like this? Oh, it's because of someone he knew in childhood or something. That's what they call like the biographical lens. Like an artist's life is the only thing that informs the art they produce. And for a long time, that was the only way we really uh, analyzed artwork and like elevated the artist to like this kind of like singular genius Uh, until like, the early 20th century to the mid 20th century when like Marxism burst in onto the scene and was like, actually more goes in to the formation of an artwork, like someone's culture, someone's economic experience, someone's socio geographical experience, the things that their culture values and doesn't value and All of these things contribute to an artwork. And then finally, here comes Foucault with the idea of we can examine an artwork purely as an artwork, like in a vacuum, divorced from anything we know about the artist, anything we know about the artist's life or upbringing, anything we know about where this artwork was produced and what the political conditions were when it was produced. And basically, we can just look at the artwork and ask, what does the artwork tell us on its own? Like, we if we just were in an empty room with it, and we didn't know anything about it, what can this artwork tell us about itself? And that is usually called death of the author, where the author's intent, the author's mm-hmm. experiences, the author's culture, political alliances, time in history, none of that matters when you are analyzing what they produce. And that's the other extreme, obviously, of those are the only things that uh, can tell us something about an artwork is an artist's experiences to ignore them entirely, just figure out what the artwork says. And, like, the real answer is probably somewhere in the middle, as with most things. Like, J.K. Rowling being a huge transphobe is another one that people point to because mm-hmm. it's undeniable that some of that stuff is like in her Harry Potter work but you can also as a reader like you still have to reckon with the text yourself and not what JK Rowling thought about it or what her intent was like some people don't think that authorial intent matters at all when reading a work so i don't know cuz again mm-hmm. i've seen the first game at least a lot i don't think there's anything in that story or the mechanics that conveys, I guess, a a conservative Republican homophobic mindset. 
Like, I, if I had played that game, I couldn't, I don't really think I could tell you anything about the producer's, like, political views. In reading an article from 2014 that Scott gave an interview to Geeks Under Grace, which is a Christian gaming <laughs> Yeah, channel. I'm glad they have one of those. Like, good for them. Yeah. Honestly, the article was pretty decent. So if you care about nerd stuff and you care about God and you're curious, I guess go look at geeksundergrace.com. I don't endorse <laughs> it, but I did find this article there. I don't. I don't think he's hiding some sort of secret Republican or Christian message in the game. I think he genuinely was very depressed and was looking for success because yes. that's something he talks about a lot. That is the main focus of what he talks about in this article is he wasn't successful making Christian things. He felt God abandoned him. He decided to make this game in a last ditch effort. Mm -hmm. And then success came to him and he has this whole metaphor about success comes on God's time. So yeah, I I'm really sure, don't think... I'm sure that for him, as a religious man, that was very self-affirming in his faith. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I can totally see yeah. that, like, affirming that belief for him. And I think it's completely reasonable for fans who are of a marginalized community, or who just, who can't put up with Republicans or Christians or anything like that. Fans who feel betrayed. Oh, absolutely! Finding this out about Scott. I, I get that. I 100% empathize. I have... <laughs> Death of the Author exists for a reason. Yeah, and, like, I, I absolutely, like, if I enjoy... Like, I didn't grow up with Harry Potter. But if I, if I did, imagining that I did, and I had really, like, resonated with his work, and it helped me as a kid, and it helped me especially, like, as a young queer kid... Um, and then finding out that the author has these repugnant views and has, like, maybe not intentionally, but, like, subconsciously at least, put woven some of these views into the text. Like, not just into her mm -hmm. own personal belief system, but into the text that I so enjoyed and was so important to me as a kid. That would be far more difficult for me, because I couldn't just be like, oh, J.K. Rowling sucks, but at least, like, I really like her books, because... That's, like, undeniably in some parts of those books, and, like, that would be hugely difficult. I think, like, it, I would feel, I would be mad that I had given my money to this guy, who then in turn gave some of his money to Trump. Mm -hmm. But at least I don't have to reckon with the fact that, like, the text, the video game, was a secret homophobic conservative message the whole time. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. And so, I... I guess I grapple with my empathy here because I think I think it sucks that he's a Republican and that he donated to all of these people. I don't think his religion necessarily plays a part in whether or not the game or the fandom has merit because I don't I genuinely am not of the belief that his religion influenced the game at all. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I don't see it in the text. I just don't. No, and I also, um, like, like I, I can understand not wanting to give more money to him, but if you have <laughs> already purchased his games, if you already enjoy them, I get the feeling of betrayal, but I don't think this means, like, oh, you have to, like, Republicans last summer were, like, burning their Nikes and stuff because oh, yeah. they were supporting yeah. Black Lives Matter. 
Like, I don't think you have to, like, go burn your copy of Five Nights at Freddy's, although I know no one has a physical copy of games anymore. Also, don't do that. That's really bad for the environment. Yes. Well, and, you know, uh, to bring it back to Five Nights at Freddy's, there are a lot of people grappling with that thing. Like, I have a Five Nights at Freddy's tattoo. Do I go get it removed? Like, that's a personal choice, friend. If it's it's a struggle to look at, just cover it up with, like, something like a shirt for right now and revisit it when you've thought it over that's my advice it it can be rough but like it's it's a personal choice and just kind of think on it for a bit see if you can deal with it and like yeah. it still can matter to you I it think, doesn't hurt anybody if it still matters to you i think people like especially in the social media era where like reputation is everything they they're like looking to an authority to give them the woke answer you know to give yeah. them the most morally correct decision and when it's something so personal as your enjoyment of an artwork or a, a text no one can make that choice for you, man. That That is on you entirely. For sure. I don't know. I feel bad for Scott's fans who are uh, going through it. Uh, you have my deepest sympathies, friends. Yeah, I guess for some Zoomers, this is like baby's first fandom betrayal. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, because a lot of Zoomers did act like really high and mighty about the Harry Potter out. I mean, leak, I guess not all of these are going to be people who cross over. Some of these are probably boys who could not have given two well, shits true. about JK Rowling. Yeah. Right. And, you know, I right. just... I forgot boys exist. So... Mm-hmm. Whoops. I mean, I think we talked about the thing, but I, my sympathies to any FNAF fans out there who are going through it. It's okay. <laughs> In both of these topics, I think, it's important to realize that someone's intentions does not always translate to the text. And even if it does, it doesn't always translate to your mm-hmm. experience with the text. And all of that is valid, is. sweetie. It's valid mm-hmm. and fine. All of, like, I, I hate to use the word valid because it's meaningless now, but that's literally what the term means. That's okay. You are allowed to have a different interpretation of a text and you are allowed to enjoy something that was made by someone with unfortunate political views. Mm-hmm. And you're not allowed to fucking dox them, though. Let's cut that shit right out. You're not allowed. Don't do that. <sighs> you're not allowed to dox someone, and you're not allowed. Well, I mean, I guess you're allowed, but you're a bad person mm-hmm. if you wish a miscarriage on someone. Yeah, always. That's not great. <laughs> that's not cool. Always, always. I'm not saying I agree with him because I don't. Um, but like. I really think it's important to be able to dislike someone without wishing them harm. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. I wish Scott the nicest evening he and Dave Trosco can get together in Dave's prayer closet and talk about success and Jesus. And I'm just going to leave it there. (laughs) And I think we talked about the the prayer closet. Yep, we sure did. I hope you can carve an episode out of this one. Do you guys have anything you're nerding on? Anything new going on? Um, Well, Kendra started playing Pokemon Go again. I've started playing Pokemon Go again. Uh It's kind of fun. I'm I'm regressing real hard in this (laughs) pandemic 
Me too. Going With back Pokemon to cards. Going back to things that brought me joy as a child. Uh, Pokemon cards are awesome. And I have a shiny snom, and I'm very happy about my shiny snom. <laughs> Apparently, during the pandemic, uh, a lot of people have had my idea of returning to things that brought them joy as a child, <laughs> because Pokemon cards have experienced a huge Whoa. surge in pricing. So I read an article about that, and I was like, oh man, I've got my old cards from 20 years ago, like, base set edition cards. I wonder what they're worth now. So, like, one evening I got them out, and I just checked online what they're worth now and it's insane some of them are worth a couple hundred dollars uh i have a few that could go for over a thousand Dang. so i've got them i the binder they were in was also 20 years old so i went to a little comic book shop a little card shop i got a new binder <laughs> and i moved them all over <laughs> so to keep oh. them in nice condition and yeah so i've sort and a new a new set of them just got released like uh last week so Kelty and I have been like casually getting back into Pokemon cards and stuff, which is fun. I decided to get into TikTok and I made a TikTok and I put out my first TikTok today and I'm a TikToker now. I saw it. Proud of you. I am cringe, but I am free. <laughs> it's the only way to be, baby. Yeah, man. It's the only way to be. Be as cringe as you want, baby. <laughs> I thought your video was cute. I saw it on Instagram. Which is, I guess, the old it's person old. TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for joining us this week. If you'd like to find us online, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Blissfully Show. I've also secretly made us a show TikTok. There's nothing on it. There probably never will be, but I just wanted to own that name. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Fair. Also, um, I was going to tease it. We didn't oh, yeah. really. But... We're probably going to talk about stupid fucking art fight next week. <laughs> yeah, so buckle So look forward up. to that. There's some crucible crucible shenanigans yeah. going on. People accusing one another of witchcraft. And if you're watching us on YouTube, hi, please like, comment, subscribe. That helps our channel grow. Like, I'll be sincere this time. Yes, we just, we need the clicks <laughs> if, if we're ever going to stick around. Yep. Not every episode is going to be our Lindsay Ellis episode, so <laughs> please share and like our videos and let us know in the comments or on Twitter if there's ever anything in particular you want us to cover. So there's that. Until next time, y'all. Bye. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye. I remember I'll talk with some of my straight friends and they'll be like, yeah, but you haven't slept with her. And I'm like, yes, I have. Of course I have. We're best friends. And they kind of have this moment like, oh. Yeah. And then they won't look me in the eye for the rest of the evening.